You're listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Sydney. I'm Danny, and I help connect businesses with top tech talent. And today, I'm your host. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Um, I'd like to say a big thank you to everyone for joining me today. Um, Obviously, we're going to be discussing choosing the right tech to enable scalability. Um, I'm really excited about the panel I've got with me today. Um, I'm going to kick off the podcast by asking you guys who you are, what you do, and anything you're particularly passionate about. Um, you know, I'll have I'll happily kick things off. So for those who don't know me, I'm Danny. I'm part of Evolution's team of recruitment consultants. I personally specialize in recruiting contracts, DevOps, and cloud engineers for Sydney. Um, you know, one of the biggest things I'm passionate about is helping teams going through kind of their scale up phase and growing during you know the big digital transformation projects. Um, who wants to kick us off? I'll go. Thanks, Danny. Um, I'm Amit Kukreja. I recently started working for Microsoft as a partner technology strategist, and this is very much where working with us, a patch of um, ISVs, independent software vendors. In this case, we're very much uh, managing or, or you know being the the lead contact, technical contact for them, especially around forward-looking items. I have a background in software engineering um, and and in software architecture, um, and yeah, over the last number of years, I've yeah grown pretty passionate about cloud. You know, I've seen what it can enable. I've seen you know the pain that uh, you know uh, you know not using the cloud in the past um, ha- has caused, um, and yeah, it, it just enables you to move so much faster than and scale uh, so much more than than you know uh, you could ever have imagined even ten years ago. <laughs> nice. Um, I'll go next. All right, and so yeah, my name is Shine. Um, yeah, so it's it's not a very common name in Australia, I guess. Um, haven't met anyone. What's that name? Um, and uh, I'm uh, an engineering manager um, in Immutable uh, and uh, for the core engineering squad. And uh, what we're doing is to enable um, faster delivery speed with better quality across the organization. Um, so normally we would have called this kind of squad a platform squad. Um, yeah, it's just a, um, our product is a platform. So it'd be odd to double name, the name. Um, yeah, so what I'm passionate about, uh, obviously, personally, uh, I work on my jumps, my vertical leaps. Uh, if you want to know any detail about that, yeah, reach out to me later on. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I'm passionate about delivering uh, uh, user delight, basically. And in, in my context, in my, in my job is to provide delight for our engineers, uh, their experience in, in immutable uh, My name is Guilamida Silva. I'm a head of engineering at FBOS in the Digital Identity Initiative. Being background, being a software developer for a long time, architect, and of course, love the DevOps part. My passion, I'd say, is not only privacy, but also inclusion. But the kind of inclusion I mean is about people with disability or people that have difficulty to use IT. Right, how it's a quick example. It's like, how can a person that has a speech impairment be able to prove they are themselves over the phone? Things like that. We get everyone, make everyone leverage technology. That's my passion. Brilliant. Thank you for that, mate. I think it's also worth pointing out as well, speaking to Shine this afternoon, and um, 
Immutable have just had a valuation of 2.5 billion as well. If you're not sure if you've seen the news, so I'm um, obviously doing some huge kind of scaling over the next couple of years. So I think it ties into to this topic pretty comfortably. Um, I'm going to throw it over to Amit's first question, um, which starts us off really nicely. It's um, what is scalability and what is the difference between growth and scalability? Does anyone want to kind of dive in and, and kick us off with that? I might, I might dive into that one. Um, it's my question anyway. Um, yeah, like, you know, to me, growth is where you kind of, add, you know, add some new business, but as part of that, you need to add new resources such as, you know, it could be capital, people or technology. Um, you know, a good example of this uh, was, you know, a few days ago when I was taking my kids to swimming lessons. Um, you know, I, you know, it was packed, you know, the pool was really crowded, heaps of parents, heaps of teachers, heaps of kids. And, and it, it occurred to me that, you know, the only way they could actually, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, grow their business was, would be to get new, um, you know, a new pool, new teachers, new facilities. There, there's no, as far as I can, and I see there's no way to scale that business. Um, but to me, you know, scaling, is, you know, by contrast, is is achieved when you can increase your revenue without incurring significant extra cost. And so, you know, bringing that back to to the technology, it's very much around, you know, um, having the technology such that you know your architectures and designs and frameworks and systems built such that you know for every new user, you know, it, it's a, it's quite a marginal cost that you add, you know, effectively, you know, you, um, you know, um, you know, whether it's an extra VM you know, in the background, but that usually will be after a fair number of um, users. Um, and, and I think, you know, extending that out as well, you know, just to be on technology, it's also around how you interact with your customers. Um, you know, you know, gone are the days where, uh, you know, you can scale by having a contact us button on your website if you want to sign up, right? If you want to sign a user up, that, that doesn't scale anymore because, you know, that requires, you know, someone on the business side to be there to answer that email and to interact. Really, you want, um, you know, a straight through um, seamless process for the user so they don't need to interact with, with um, anybody on the on the business side. Obviously, you still want that support available if needed, um, but you want to be able to scale such that you don't need to add extra people for extra for every um, extra cell. Brilliant. Has anyone got anything to add to that? Shine, what are your thoughts on the kind of difference between growth and scalability? Yeah, so I think um, pretty much on the same page as in, you know, like um, a growth is about, you know, revenue or added asset or any capital you you bring bring on board into the company's um, balance sheet, um, and the scalability is really to generate that revenue uh, in a way that you you spend less or less or less resource, um, so that you know you can keep your competitive advantage, uh, you know, um, because you you're spending less and doing more things, and your competitor will be just you know struggling to keep up. Uh, in in the same way, yes, uh, which reminds me. Um, what um, uh, the, there's a product called Intercom and uh, relates to the you know contact button uh, you press and send an email to a customer support asking questions and you have this like chat box you know after, after hours kind of a you know redirect those uh, uh, users to documentation obviously you can build technology that not not letting user to ask but just you know provide a solution seamlessly uh, let them to utilize your product in a in a much much better way. But you know, it reminds me those kind of product pops pops up to resolve um, you know uh, to put in kind of a 
uh, a lever you can you can pull uh, for uh, scalability. I think what Amit said as well, Sean, it's that point that small percentage of cost that can enable you to supply the demand. Because again, if the demand grows in the same linear as your cost, if you need to scale down, you're going to have a problem. And I think it's also important to think about uh, the technology and the organizational structures behind that. Um, you know, usually, as I'm sure we all know, you know, technology and, and people and organizations, you know, go go hand in hand. So, so you can't um, really you shouldn't just look at technology alone. You need to look at your entire organization um, and and your entire pipeline of how you kind of onboard customers and support them. Hundred percent. Yeah. So. That, that triggers something in my mind. Um, so um, mo most importantly for to achieve scalability is, is to align business internally, horizontally. Because, um, you know, we're here as, as uh, engineering, engineering leaders, you know, we have particular perspective into the you know, technology side, but, you know, what about marketing, sales, product, um, you know, those aspects, and uh, you know the adjectives we use in, in you know in uh, in front of the department, for example, marketing department and engineering department, they are just seeing one tiny aspect of the whole picture. So alignment across the organization to enable that scalability is, is crucial as well. Yeah. yeah. And a question for yourself, Shine, is um, as your role of uh, engineering. Uh, manager, you said of the platform squad. Um, how do you ensure that you know the the, the idea of the platform squad is, is you know very vital? I, I understand that, but how do you also ensure that you don't become a bottleneck? Because I can imagine lots of other teams, you know, wanting different features. Um, and you know, if you can't, if your team can't perform, um, create those features, you slow down other teams. How 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 do you manage that those sorts of situations? Yeah, so I, I'll just um. Going off the word how, and in a big picture. Uh, <laughs> so, in, in terms of a, like a normal uh, pr product design process, you when you have a team to build something, you would you know have a mission and understand what you're doing and what's the end goal, and then you will have the principles as in how to do it. So, we have a principle for uh, core engineering score as in scalable impact. So, every time we decide to do something, we'll ask ourselves. So all the team members are buying to this concept of, hey, um, should I, if someone come to us to say, hey, how do I do this? How do I repeat this piece of architecture in my service? Uh, so we, the principle we adhere to is, what's my behavior in that scenario that is a scalable impact? Now, is that consultation? Maybe, but is documentation more uh, scalable than consultation? Is automation, you know, more scalable than than that? And so we're going off this kind of a, a principle in your head to constantly evaluate the behavior we present among the a platform squad to essentially dictate our priorities, what to do and what not to do. Uh, yeah, I love that. I love the idea of yeah that scalable impact. Thinking about yeah documentation or automation. I think yeah that that sounds like a great approach. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Um, I think we're going to actually go to Shine's question next, uh, which actually leads us on quite nicely. What's the guiding principles when choosing tech within your company? Um, 
I'll, 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 I'll uh, follow the you know convention here. That's <laughs> my <laughs> question. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, we sort of uh, settle on. Well, it's it's not settled on because you know we're constantly iterating and improving. But the the criteria we we have at the moment is show me the data. Like um, we make decision based on the data we can gather to prove that's the the right tech to pick or the right process to pick. Uh, it's the question itself is scope to 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 technology, but I think it applies to lots of other things. And um, we we also want to fostering a foster a, a uh, writing culture. Uh, so we write things down. You know, uh, when you say something today, uh, people remember it or forget about it. So next day, uh, you know, you said it's going to scale to, you know, uh, ten thousand TPS, but now it's a hundred. Oh, I didn't say it. So, <laughs> you know, um, so write write them down is is very uh, important. And um, it, the the last but not the least point is understand um your, your customer needs um so we can choose the most shining latest or you know seemingly comprehensive tooling but if you only need your customer only needs like one percent of it uh why, why not explore other uh possibilities uh out there that's that's an interesting point as well you, you made about documentation right because as soon as people hear that word they start freaking out but this is not like a documentation for other parts of the business. It's to keep the sanity of your team, right? Because it's very common when you take a decision today, now most time you don't know why, why you did that. So you have to go, to go back to something. And as well, onboarding new people, that's the best um, framework to have. You know what? First thing you do, read this. If you think it's not good enough for you, well, improve this part. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, you know, my, my, some of my approaches include, um, you know, uh, Sean, you spoke about, um, you know, show me the data. And, and that's very much around, you know, your kind of technology architectural choices. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, always understand the trade-offs. No matter what you pick, whether it's uh, architecture or particular technology, there's trade-offs. You know, you might be, um, you might, you know, trade-off might be for, you know, short-term gain, but, you know, long-term pain. Try to be aware of that um, and try to be aware of, you know, what may be difficult later on, but, but a bit more, a bit easier now based on those choices. I, I think that's always kind of uh, critical, especially around your, your scalability choices. Um, um, yeah, some of my general notes uh, as well around um, you know scalability is is look at the the evolvable architectures as lo as much as possible. You know because your architectures, especially as you scale, will need to change. All right, we all know architectures aren't static; they will constantly change. Um, and, and from from my personal experience, I, I like to focus on event driven architectures um, that that really allows you to to change as your requirements change and to really experiment a lot. Because uh, if you've kind of got the data going coming through, you know, it becomes quite easy to build a, another service reading from a particular topic or queue to to try something to experiment. Um, and, and so, from from my experience, uh, those are some of the main things I, I look out for. You know, I bring a question for you too. Then, um, for example, when you decide to build your critical services, right? On one side, we have the latest bleeding edge frameworks. On the other, you have more consolidated frameworks around Java.NET C even. How do you manage that? Okay. How, 
when you take a decision, are you comfortable enough to use critical, uh, like to develop critical, mission critical core business features and functionalities into the latest tech? It's uh, always a trade-off, and and I think you can even extend that that discussion out to you know even what open source libraries might you might use. Uh, if you think back to the the Log4j issues a few months ago, uh, um, you know, and supply chain issues. Um, yeah, look, look, uh, my my approach would be yeah, generally you know, especially for the more mission critical it is to your organization, to to society, especially with um you know. Uh, uh, GE um, being in the FPOST area, um, you know, you definitely want to be, you know, lean, uh, be conservative with your choices. Um, you go with your Java, you go with your C++, um, you know, your well-supported frameworks. Um, whereas a startup who is not necessarily, um, you know, doing something uh, mission critical to to society uh, or even for themselves uh, um, might go with something bleeding edge where they can might be able to move faster. I think I think I have a. Um, I remember something that someone said. I forgot whom. Uh, <laughs> regarding this point, that I want to keep things boring uh, for mission critical uh, things, and I want to optimize for my sleep. Um, <laughs> so I, th I think that you know, with those two points, it's pretty clear which which way I would go. Yeah, yeah, I like that one to keep things boring. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Has anyone got any kind of final points to add to that, or happy to happy to move on? Um, yeah, look, look, a couple more for myself is um, we yeah, like I, I had the a note around yeah, prove, you know, using proven technology as bleeding edge, uh, but also where possible, choose um, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Use SaaS providers where where possible, right? And you know, the the best example to me is, and I've seen this kind of go badly, is you know, don't you know, create a new identity system if you don't need to. You know, there there's a lot of really good providers out there uh, with really good solid identity um, solutions. Um, you know, don't don't reinvent the wheel. I've I've seen that happen. I've seen uh, you know uh, you know an organization try to you know say yeah we, you know we don't need to pay for that. We can build our own. And you know within six months it was clear how bad that choice was. Uh, so so yeah, where possible go with the SaaS providers um, because you you don't want to be you you want to focus on on work which is adding business value, adding value to your clients, um, not just some uh, something which you know someone else has already solved. Yeah, it leads me to like a comment I made under this question that's manage service against self-manage. Is there any scenario when you actually need to have self-manage solutions if you start from scratch, right? You can say, ah, but we are under high compliance, but even the government nowadays, it's all on the cloud. All like managed. Is there a breaking point there or the long day is the days of data centers or holding having your things installed by yourself into the data centers is over. Now it's all going to be managed. So impact is like the, the old image of the profession of the seated mean. Is this profession dead? Yeah, and and even you know taking that out, it's it's a bit of a spectrum because even if you are all on cloud, there might be some solutions you know um, that your you know your clients you know because of regulation reasons want you to host yourselves in your cloud as opposed to using a a, a SaaS uh, service. Um, yeah, like uh, from from what I've seen over the last yeah you know ten years, you know there's definitely that movement towards the cloud. You know, every, everyone's seen that. I think you will still have some specialized use cases which you know require you know data centers. Um, they're going to be you know extreme you know 
more and more rare over the, the years to come. Yeah, I, I wanted to provide like two, two perspectives to this. One is from the technology side. And again, someone has said this, but <laughs> bad with names. Um, so we engineers ships the assumption of how our software works to the production, not the software itself. And so, you know, that's true even with, you know, the, the software we're bracing the domain we're living in to the production. Um, not to mention that we want to develop something that someone else developed, better tested for 10, 20 years. Um, you know, it's running in production and with high availability. That's, that's one. Uh, the second one is there may be a, a um, alignment through the organization. What is the product offering? Where should the resource be direct to, to really go you know, 200% down on building something? Um, that is the, is the core of the product offering. Yeah. Well said. Fantastic. Um... And one of G's questions was how to promote sustainable scalability. Do you want to kind of elaborate a little bit more on that for us? Sure. It's actually, uh, um, I and Shine touch in a few points on that at the beginning of the podcast. It's like sometimes people think that scale, scaling is just, let's add more resources, just hire someone and that's it. Everything's going to work as expected, right? But of course, I've got to start by, okay, Look at data, right? Due diligence. Let's look at the system. Let's come up with some metrics. Let's see to what to what point our service starts degrading itself. Okay, so if you have the metrics, we can then scale. We can scale big, but okay, we do baby steps, bit by bit, consolidating, because then the problems you can find the problems and they are that big, they're smaller. Right? Automating processes. One of the things for me is the most important one is bring the sense of responsibility to some key team members, right? Because you, you will need more management as your team scales as well to support your growth. But we need that people's leadership or some kind of like ownership of the project that can actually come and make the newcomers be feel welcome and onboard them super quick. Uh, of course, in our, in our area, from, uh, communication is key. How you communicate to other parts of the business. Okay, look, there's like you have to be transparent. Look, I don't know the exact figures you're gonna be paying, but there will be increase like there will be increase in cost. I can give you a approximate figure so you can plan yourself. Again, communication, like let's not silo the development department. Let's make sure like everyone's in welcome and everyone talks to everyone so we understand other parts of the business. But of course, you have to reduce the single points of failure where you can. And I've seen in past, past gigs scaling going not bad, but not as good as it should. And of course, the results of that, a massive increase in the workload on the team. Stress builds up. People leaving because of that. And of course, minor improvements and bug fixes takes way longer to be completed. Why? Because now we are here trying to onboard. We have no processes. We haven't increased our management team. Then we all here trying to, to bring people to speed. Some people will take in two weeks, they'll be delivering value. But depending on the approach, it's going to take two, two months, regardless how senior they are. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, those points resonate with me, uh, G. Um, I, I think especially around the the trying to focus on keeping your tech debt down. You know, I've I've been in situations where it's called I think the 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 death spiral of uh, software development, right? Where you have so much technical debt, and and you know you 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 keep trying to you know build new features, but you can't build them fast enough because you got so much technical debt, and and you know, you spend some more time on support. Um, you know, I'm sure it's kind of sounds familiar to you. Um, and so yeah, I think that you know to be sustainable in your scalability, you have to focus on keeping that tech debt down, as as you say. Um, I, I think you know one approach I've I've recently heard about is um, you know taking the 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 you, know, you build it you run it approach, uh, which is kind of uh, what you were talking about, is um, you know you take that a bit further to say well whoever's doing the on-call support for this week they don't have to work on new product features they can work on whatever's keeping them up at night literally right what, whatever of those issues where they're getting alerts for uh they don't have to you know um obviously they're still part of the team um but, but you know that, that you know that also makes it a lot more appetizing for for developers to be on call support because you know you can just say to them well if, if that's keeping you up you can work on that fixing that um whereas you know if if uh, people are on call, if developers are on call support and receiving uh, alerts in the middle of the night, but they don't get a chance to really you know fix the root cause of those, your your team's in trouble. You, you're going to have uh, people leaving. Yeah, um, I'm I'm secretly taking a taking a note about that particular, uh, you know, whoever on call doing no feature work, just you know fix whatever uh, keeps you up at night. That's I think is very <laughs> very good one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, we, we might just adopt that. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me know how it goes. Uh, but I think I, I, uh, out of interest, I hear that from um, the CEO of Honeycomb IO, uh, who they built a new observability platform, which looks really cool. Right. Yeah. So I think that that relates to my my thought around this topic, um, because I, I saw this question I. The immediate reaction is uh, headroom. So, can we measure what sort of headroom you have? You know, not uh, not only on your um, um, your API, for example, the throughput, um, but also on you know, is has how many headcount as headroom your manager can take in the team, right? Present those data. And also relates to you know uh, observability side. You know, uh, I guess uh, nowadays um, error budget is a well-known kind of a, a thing. So that's about headroom. You know, how many budget you can you can have more, but more, more errors you can have. So that's the immediate kind of reaction to this. I think it also boils down to as well transparency, honesty, right? Like. Tech, the tech teams, the tech, they, we, we know what could go wrong, right? I mean, we, we know the areas that need a bit of love. So as long as we put that on paper and plan that well, a little bit, like not excess, but as soon as, as long as you plan, I'm sure you can do. Absolutely. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think the interesting thing with this next question is, you know, we've got you guys all from various different backgrounds and various different size companies as well. So I'm quite interested to hear if we all agree on everything or these kind of differences that you guys are, you guys are facing. Um, so it's how does scalability differ from startups and larger enterprise organizations? Um, that was a mid question. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Um, 
Yeah, I think the question for startups is probably a lot easier because, uh, you know, generally speaking, your startups will be smaller, um, will have a lot less legacy technology or less technical debt, right? Um, so most likely they're all on cloud already. Um, and so so getting a, a team to to build straight on the cloud um, using cloud native uh, architectures um, to allow for that scaling, you know, it, it's it's probably going to be the the default position. Um, uh, not always, but, but you know, that, that should be the aim. And, and you know, because there ha there is less legacy um, technology and it's smaller teams, it'd probably be easier to implement. Whereas in in the the bigger you get in your um, in terms of your enterprise size, um, you know the the more difficult it's going to be. You know, firstly, um, you're probably going to have some sort of hybrid architecture. Firstly, um, because you have existing systems probably in a data center somewhere, um, and there, there's probably especially very much there's there's always going to be um, you know your your way the ways of working which exist, and you know these are the ways of working which you know the people do just because that's what's always been done. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, a lot of these organizations, and you know, it is changing, but a lot of these larger organizations do struggle to ask those questions around, well, you know, is this still the best way to do it? Um, and so, so, you know, you know, if if you're still you know deploying on you know directly onto virtual machines um you know with you know um you know with manual manual deployments which you know is less and less so um that's obviously going to be difficult to scale but but where i also think it's uh, very interesting and and you know this has been touched on a number of times already is around kind of the organizational structures um, uh, I think it was from a, a book I read, uh, The Unicorn Project by Gene Kim. Well, I really do recommend that book um, if anyone hasn't read it. Um, but in the book, you know, the, it's a fictional story, you know, around, you know, based around DevOps and software engineering. Uh, but, you know, it was an organization which um, was struggling because they had all these internal dependencies between the teams. And someone said, well, instead of managing our dependencies, we should be trying to eliminate our dependencies. And I think that's very key. If your architectures and your processes allow teams to work autonomously without always having to, you know, uh, get another team to, to, you know, do something to create an API for you uh, because, you know, that data is already there or it can be formatted in the way you, you need, um, then that becomes a lot easier to scale out your organizational structures. You know, you're not always trying to uh, manage these dependencies and, you know, you can't, you know, you don't have as many of the situations where you can't do what looks like a relatively simple feature because you need this other team over there in the organization to do another feature and they've got a full roadmap for the next six months. Um, yeah, so that that um, that's a very good point. I think I should I should just circle back to event-driven architecture you mentioned earlier, and we're actually in the process of defining, you know, because um, we're still young comparing to, uh, you know, organization that has like 10, 15, or you know, 30 years of, of age there. And so we the the thing is, you know, according to Conway's law, and um, basically. Um, you know, if if we have five teams, they all own different things. The architecture eventually will reflect that. Um, and if we force on or continue using the architecture that does not enable that kind of separation, it's going to be a nightmare. Uh, and we already see those kind of dependencies creeping in here and there, and people just jumping to different teams asking for you know domain knowledge, SMEs, those those kind of things. And um, I think that's a, that's a very good point. And also, 
just around the question itself, around you know how startup uh, deal with uh, scalability. I think you know again, no comparison to huge company. If an engineer comes to me to say, "Look at this code, it's bad," ah, oh, you know, you might want to go to <laughs> I don't know, uh, just. I don't want to just throw Microsoft under the bus here. <laughs> uh, maybe you should be working on Windows code base <laughs> and have a look at the, you know, I don't know how, I don't remember how, billion, how many billion uh, lines of code there. Um, so, yeah, so the scale of the problem is, is different. Um, but I do want to mention uh, in a startup, it's we have the opportunity to set a thing right from the get go. So, for example, we what we did um, in this quarter was uh, we have because the speed we've been running um it, it left some technology or choices there not documented and also um things already regard as legacy no one you know the sme has left and no one knows what's going on with this piece of a code and it, it generally has this fear uh from engineers i don't want to touch it if any time i touch it it, it it breaks i'm sure it's it's not it's not <laughs> uh strange to, to anyone here uh, but uh, uh, what we did was, okay, so here is a template and it's called the current state of the uh, a template, uh, current state of the component template. So before you're working on something that you have never touched before, uh, please document how it works. You know, where's the source code? How do we deploy it? Um, and uh, what's the alert in the last three months about this? How did it wake people up in the middle of the night? What's the most crucial part of the system that this, you know, the attribute it needs to hold if you rewrite it? Um, and what's the mistake we made in the past just by going through the code line by line? And we don't want to repeat that. And so this way, you know, engineers are, are smart. Just given, give them the time, we'll let them to, you know, properly document or even in certain cases, illustrate in enjoying how to you know how the system works and what we found out is they have gained sometimes you know 100 percent 200 percent of confidence of, of rebuilding a piece of a system or increase the throughput by you know a, a thousand percent or something yeah that's interesting it seems we are beyond that that part, right? Where the guy, left, the SME left 15 years ago, nobody knows how to work, nobody touches, <laughs> everyone's afraid. Everyone jumps the cake, not to trip on it. Yeah, but again, like big companies and startups, it also depends on the landscape, right? Because a big company could be working on something brand new, right? So, but of course, one thing that, again, can be a key factor is cost, right? Because again, when you start up, if, you get an injection of capital from a VC or, or any other investor, you can just spend. So you can just get as many sales as you want as soon as possible. Right? So you're not concerned about how much you're spending. But on the other side, if you're a small startup, that could be a trick part. Because then if you always have to be looking at your billing and okay, you know what? I have to actually first optimize what I have before I can scale, that could be a problem too. Or in addition as well, in the part of the big companies, right? Big, big corporations, massive governance. Some companies have massive governance. It's also part of a thing about culture. Startup culture is like that thing gets done. Let's go, let's go. The other, you all go through massive lines of governance. But again, it's all about you try to make your team have a good culture. Yeah. 
yeah, like, uh, you know, that governance factor, you know, in large organizations, you know, I've seen cases where, you know, your 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 PMO function, you decide at the start of the financial year, everything that's going to be done for the next 12 months. And so, you know, if, if you think of something on the 1st of July, you know, in theory, you can't even start that for another 12 months. Um, so, so yeah, and, and as you say, the startup environment, it, it, you know, it's just not like that, you know, it can move in much quicker, yeah. Yeah, I've seen actually that in a few like big corporations where like they, they understand this red tape and governance. What they try to do is like, okay, I want to give you the department. It's going to be run a startup. Here's your budget. Deliver. So we're going to leave you alone. And have you seen that be successful? Yes, a few times, yes. But of course, but the thing is, is you have to stop the temptation from the, from the people outside. You know what? Let me just give you a little bit more. Let me just have a look there. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, I think we've I probably learned from this podcast. You guys don't seem to get any sleep at all, and you're constantly being woken <laughs> up in the middle of the night. <laughs> so it kind of leads us on quite nicely to this next point. Um, you know, any lessons learned during the journey of enabling scalability, apart from getting some more sleep. <laughs> I'd say, I mean, like it's a common thing. Like, if you have too many alarms, too many things, people ignore, right? Make sure you're you're, you're precise on your alarm and deliver positive things. I think, uh, from from my point of view, one of the key points is you know that culture. You know that culture of uh, you know learning, failing fast, learning quickly, um, and you know having you know a culture where everyone's included. Um, as per um, you know G saying uh, you know what his passions for that inclusive inclusivity and accessibility of everything you make um, and, and your teams is is vital. Yeah. So my my recent lesson on this is is to slowing down in order to uh, you know run faster. Um, yeah. Because th th there's an element there of you know don't don't lie to yourself. Um, you know, it's the speed is this. It's not magically you know next month will become different. So you're gonna spend a time that didn't you you didn't spend last month or last year to properly you know spread the domain knowledge to educate people to document things. Yeah, I, I read a quote on Twitter a long time ago saying, code is cheap, mistakes are really expensive. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Truth. Yeah. Amazing. I think that ties us off um, quite quite nicely for today. If you gents got any other kind of closing comments or anything that you'd like to finish on or add? I'd just like to ask Amit, what is the name of the book again of the Unicorn? The Unicorn Pro Project by Jean Kim. Uh, it's written a couple of books, uh, really good books, um, and and yeah, it's kind of uh, the first one was called the Phoenix Project, um, and yeah, they kind of really, you know, I think first read the first one about ten years ago, um, and it, it start, you know, it was you know at the edge of the DevOps movement, and it kind of shaped in my mind, yes, this is what you know the problems I'm seeing, and this is how to fix them. Um, not that the solution's ever easy. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I mean, hear you guys. We either are, we are all succeeding or we are failing together as a team because we think very alike. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Brilliant. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, gents. Uh, I've definitely learned an awful lot in you know the kind of past 45 minutes, and I hope hopefully you guys can take something away from it too.